Tonight, a worrying picture is emerging on the impact of the pandemic on our mental health. A worsening mental health crisis among young people. Mental health issues were magnified. Mental health problems. Unprecedented mental health crisis. Huge toll on mental health. Impact on our mental health. Warning of a youth mental health crisis. A new advisory on a growing youth mental health crisis. All right, good. I got something. Good evening, guys. Pumped to be here. Excited to preach. Again, it's good to sit, even be back. And man, this environment is good. It's good not to be the oldest person here. <laughs> In a great way. Like the average age of Oasis went up a ton. Um, and that warms my soul. It's so good. Uh, as Brennan said, we're in part two of Software Update. And he gave uh, just a brilliant uh, a picture of one even explanation of why it's called software update. And he liked the brain, we're in our mental health uh, sermon series. He likened the brain to a computer, right? And, and with the computer, there's the physical, actual computer. And sometimes just that can break down. And things can go wrong, the keyboard can start, stop working, uh, battery needs to be placed. There's physical things on the computer that can stop working. And then there's like, which we call hardware. And then there's software stuff. Like maybe it's a security thing at the computer. It's you're clicking on a file. It's taking you to the wrong thing. Do you get like the rainbow of death, right? Horrifying, just the worst. And the reality and beautiful thing about the brain being compared to computer in that way is we realize when we talk about mental health, when we talk about anxiety and worry and in, in, in three weeks, even depression, is as pastors and shepherds of people called into ministry, there's only a few things or ways that we can speak well into mental illness. We speak what the Bible helps us speak. We try to just bring out what Jesus, uh, what Paul, what different writers in scripture have addressed when it comes to worry, anxiety, and stress. And that's the software side of it. It's the realization that sometimes we just maybe have patterns of thinking that as we dive into scripture, he's pointing us and inviting us just to change, to pursue him more. I don't have uh, degrees enough to be able to address well the hardware issues, the literal like physiological makeup of the human brain. To that, we would say, this is where we love physicians and doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors. Like they're professionals for a reason. Like I can't give you really good insight into, man, maybe just like there's a chemical imbalance that's happening and that's okay. Like you are not a bad or wrong person to want to go seek some medical help in that. So what we address, and as Brennan opened up last week in Philippians 4, is we look at the Bible and say, okay, what does the Bible actually speak on worry, anxiety, depression, and stress? And tonight I get Matthew 6. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew 6. Uh, we're going to just dive into to what Jesus teaches on worry. And before we get there, just, I, I'm trying to, like, through this week, think, okay, I know there are moments in my life where anxiety just gets, like, built up. But I have these anxious moments and anxious thoughts uh, where worry just kind of floods my mind. And there's... I don't think I feel it more than when I'm flying. There's something about, hold on. Me. There's something about when I fly that my mind gets flooded with anxious thoughts more than normal, more than I kind of otherwise experience in day-to-day -day life. 
And with my job change, being the multiplication networking pastor, I oversee residency, I've flown a lot more in the last three months than I really liked to or wanted to. And so what happens is it's not like the whole flight I'm freaking out and like battling in my head. I, I freak out during the three T's of a flight. It's the takeoff, the turbulence, and the touchdown. And so when I take off, every time we take off, I have this assumption that the pilot's not going to lift the plane off the ground before we hit the end of the runway. Every time. It's for some reason, even though I'm flying out of Sioux Falls, I know we don't have a thousand foot cliff at the end of it, but I think we're going to fall off a thousand foot cliff. You need to get the plane up in the air. Like, what is he doing? Or also like the turbulence, right? Like you're in, you're in the air. Like we get, we fly, we get off the ground and all of a sudden whew, we kind of breathe. And then we get up in the air in turbulence and it's worse when the seatbelt sign is off and then you feel a little bit of the plane and the captain turns the light on and he comes over like, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, please, uh, this is your captain. Right? He says, all right, all right, buckle your seatbelts. Basically like, hey, we're going to hit some stuff. It's not going to be fun. For me, what happens is I'm sitting there, I'm clenching the, the what do they call armrests? And the light switch or the, when the seatbelt sign comes on, for me, it's like my brain just automatically goes into freakout mode. So like externally, you're seeing me like just kind of, yeah, probably, uh, probably not looking great, but my face isn't really making a lot of expression. Uh, but inside I'm going, ah! like that's what's happening. Like this is it. We're done. Like I become just crazy. It just happens. And then it's, and then it's the touchdown. For some reason, every time right before we are going to land, I'm assuming the wheels are going to fall off this plane. That's going to happen. And I just created anxious thoughts for you now every time you fly. Just kidding. But that just, it happens. I have no control over these thoughts. I've driven to the airport, pray, God, I don't want to be anxious right now and stressed out and worried about this flight. I've flown a dozen times, even in the last two years, and I've made it. Like statistically, logically, I know that I'm not most likely going to die from a plane crash. But something happens. I get on a plane, it's... I just went to Orlando with my wife. Oh, I had a church planning conference that I went to. And every time, like, she knows I struggle with this. So when we're at takeoff, when, we're, when turbulence, the planes move a little bit, and on touchdown, she'll reach over and she'll try to grab my arm. And it, it kind of calms me down a little bit. It's just hard. But I have no control. And that's just how anxious thoughts work. And what's beautiful about how even Brennan defined anxiety, because it's literally the Greek word that's used and, and how it's used in Matthew 6, the same word used in Philippians 4 where he says, do not be anxious. Here when we're going to dive into Matthew 6 where Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. It's the same Greek word. It's the same Greek word. And it, it derives from our English idea of meditation. So what he's saying in do not worry or do not be anxious, it's, it's, it's not saying don't have any anxious thoughts. That's not realistic. Like, that's not life. What he's saying is, hey, don't dwell. Don't meditate. Don't sit in it. Don't make your tent or make your bed and sleep in these thoughts and stay there. And that's what we're going to press into. That's what we mean by anxious thoughts. So for me, is as I'm learning to not even fly better, I'm not learning to not have anxious thoughts when I'm flying. It's I'm learning when the thoughts come, what do I do with them? Because we all experience those. Those moments of worry and stress and fear, the thoughts just get planted in. It's like, what do I do with those? And what's beautiful about the Bible is it gives us some practical wisdom. And Jesus here in Matthew 6 gives us some practical wisdom on, hey, here's how to try to approach not dwelling, not camping, not meditating on these anxious thoughts. So I'm going to go through five points 
from Jesus on dealing with our worry, our anxious and fearful thoughts. And I'm going to use those terms and I, I don't know what a better way to do it, just kind of interchangeably. Again, this is not medically diagnosed anxiety, which my wife has, that is, is a chemical imbalance in her brain. This is those anxious thoughts that we all experience, those worrisome, fearful thoughts. Matthew 6, 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Meditate on anxious thoughts about your life. What you eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? You see, even in this time, uh, we, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have stores they could go to. When a harvest came, they had to make sure they had enough food until the next season happened. And so worrying about food was a real life issue, right? And so Jesus comes and said, hey, listen, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat. And he asked this beautiful question. For us, the, the command still holds up. It's, hey, you know, don't worry about your relationship status. Right? Don't, don't worry about school this week. It's kind of, don't worry about if someone commented or double tapped your Insta post. Don't worry when you see the hourglass next to the Snapchat thing and you might lose your streak. Right? It's like, hey, just, it's not that those things aren't important. He's saying, it's not that things I understand. He's like, he's saying, it's not that those things don't matter to some degree. But he starts off with this, hey, don't worry. And he says, like, food is important and clothes are important. He's saying, like, I know, like, this is something you have to think about or will think about. And he asks this, like, rhetorical question. Because what Jesus is ultimately doing in this moment is he's helping his audience deflate the power of their worries by helping them be put into perspective. And that's the first thing that we see of what Jesus is doing. He's, He's saying, hey, listen, I want you to put your worry in perspective. Put your worry in perspective. So he asks this question. Isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than clothing? And it's almost this idea of like, hey, he's talking to a Jewish audience who loves God. And so when he's asking this, he's not like degrading them for the fact that they're like wondering, hey, what's going to happen with like, do we have enough food to last throughout the season? He's saying when you rest on those things, something happens in your soul that like I, you weren't designed to experience. He said, when you, when, you, when you camp out in these, in these thoughts, you're not able to experience the peace that I've came, come to give. And so he's like, this rhetorical question, like, hey, isn't life more than food? And then they'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, and as followers of Jesus, of Jesus, we can say in a Christian worldview, hey man, isn't life more than social media? More than marriage? More than our singleness? Again, not that those things don't matter. More than school? Not that those things don't matter, but isn't life... Something about life more? There's more here. He's helping us try to put our worry, our anxious thoughts, our fearful thoughts into perspective. So what does this look like? He ultimately, in asking questions, is doing what counselors do today. It's helping them. The first step in putting our worry into perspective is to track down, really, what is the root cause of like why I'm freaking out, of why I'm camping and resting in these fearful thoughts. And so, like, example, like, say you need to find a roommate for next year. Right, like graduated, got married, whatever it is. Like, okay, I need to find a roommate. Uh, what's going to happen? So like, you just like rest it. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've been putting out posters. I've been like posting things. Like, I can't find anyone. Like, I'm trying to find this. Like, nothing's happening. You should like, what's going to happen? And so you just sit in the what if, in the what if. Like, and so a counselor will call in and go to a counselor and they'll say, well, what if you don't find a roommate? Well, then I'm not going to be able to afford rent. Okay, well, what if you can't pay for rent? Man, they're going to have to move out and go home. 
But what, ha- what if you have to move out and go home? Then everyone's going to think that I failed and I'm a failure because I wasn't able to make it on my own. And then the counselor will step back and say, okay, so the real issue is not that you need a roommate. The real issue is you care a ton about what people think. And just by asking questions. And it's hard. And sometimes we need help in really tracking down the root cause of our worry and really tracking down and getting there because anxiety comes in the form of asking the specific questions of what if. And what worry anxiety wants to do is keep us in those questions, not allowing us to answer and move forward. Anxiety wants to try to, on the surface level, really make bigger this picture of what we think we're worrying about or what the real issue is and not allow us to move forward and say, okay, really, God, what am I not trusting in here? What if I'm single the rest of my life? What if this relationship doesn't work out? What if the cancer treatment doesn't work? Like, that's tough. And to sit in there. But as we answer those questions... And we move forward, it allows us to put this worry in perspective. And so we do that. Dave Martin in his book, We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To, he gives this equation. It's a three-part equation. So the first part is, all right, what if, get down to the root of really what's going on. And in that answer with, then I would, right? All right, so what if I'm single, or what if this relationship doesn't work out? Well, then I, I might have to have a new relationship, or, or, or I may never get married. All right, well, what if you never get married? Well, then I might be single. Okay, well, what if you're single? I'd be, like, heartbroken and sad. But that's real, right? And, that, but, and that's the real core feeling and emotion that really is at, at the root of just being afraid to be single is a feeling of loneliness because we are created to be in relationship, first and foremost with the Father and then with each other. And so that's a real feeling, but it's helping us get to the root. Jesus brilliantly does this. He, he answers questions or asks questions really well to get us to the root of these things. But the equation doesn't stop with what if, then I should. Because if it stopped there, that would be depressing, <laughs> right? Like, what if the cancer diagnosis isn't, well, then my dad's going to die. I don't want to sit in that, right? So then there's a the next step. And Jesus explains this and points us to this in the next few verses. It goes, okay, what if? So we answer the question, we figure out the root. We do that by answering the question of, okay, then I would do this. But ultimately end with, and, but God will. What if, then I should, or I would but God will. And that's where we end. And that that's, gives us this beautiful opportunity to really put in perspective our worry. So Jesus says in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So Jesus here is giving this beautiful depiction of a father, God, who is providing for birds and flowers. And then he says, this is the same God in that imagery as Jesus points to the birds and as he points to the flowers, he's in the field giving the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples see this and because the disciples know the character and faithfulness of their God, of the father in heaven, they know that if the God who provides for the birds in the air and the flowers in the field, he will also provide for me. Because how much more valuable are you to him than to the grass in the field that's here today and gone tomorrow? 
You see, we can answer, but God will. When we find the root of our anxiety, of our worry, of our fear. Because we have a God who cares and loves for us. We have a God who desires and invites us into caring and pressing into and dwelling into his character more than our circumstance. He will provide for your needs. So we put our worry into perspective. The second thing he says in these verses, he says, engross yourself in the promises of God. Be absorbed with the reality of the promises of God. That you have a faithful provider who created the entire universe, who is for you and not against you, who is with you always, who says, never will I leave you or forsake you. Uh, When me and Abby first got married, I would have these like weird, I, I don't, I shouldn't say I don't dream. I don't remember my dreams. I just don't. And so like we got married and I would have these like really weird aggressive dreams about my wife dying. And it'd either be super morbid, I apologize. And it'd either be she gets hit by a car, <laughs> like a bus, and not a small like yellow bus, the big old stinking honking like England double-decker buses. We live in America. Like she'd get hit by a bus or she would die on childbirth. Yeah, right? Super aggressive, like super sad. And so what was happening is like, I'm, I, I'm remembering these dreams and I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just sitting in it. I'm like, man, what if I lose my wife? These are dreams. This is not reality. Like these are just dreams that are popping up into my head. Man, and I'm just sitting there and what it's doing, it's in the moment and through those first few months of being married, it got revealed to me in different ways and different aspects. That I, at that time in my life, worried and cared more about Abby than I did my relationship with Jesus. And I'm not going to say God planted those dreams into my head because I, I, I can't tell you that. But I know that because of the community I had in my life, I know that because I recognize and know what Jesus has done for me, that he, as he is the priority and number one relationship in my life, I'm only able to love my spouse and love my wife better. So when Jesus is number one, I'm actually able to love her well. But there was something just missed there. And so what would happen is I'd wake up and I have these dreams and I would just sit in the anxiousness and fear of what if my wife dies? No reason to think that she would. Just sitting in the what if. And through time, and I didn't even know this was a thing, but over time and, and sharing with people that I love and that I trust, it's like they started helping me process these things and eventually I would be like, well, what if Abby died? Man, if Abby died, then like... I would be pissed. <laughs> I, I answered it like that. And then from being pissed, it's like, man, I, I'd be incredibly sad. And I'd be incredibly heartbroken. And because I allowed myself to pursue Jesus and know his promises, I remember moments and I remember scripture where, man, if Abby dies, I'd be incredibly heartbroken. But God says, I'm near to the brokenhearted. And even as I'm going through this in this season of life, it was hard for me to believe that sometimes. And so I had to keep coming back to this reality like, man, I have a faithful God who cares and loves for me. And even if that did happen, no reason that it would, no indication that it might, I got a God who said he'd never leave me or forsake me who is near me. Because we have a father who will provide for our needs because he loves and he cares for us. What if I lose my job? What if I don't get the job that I really want? I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to feel abandoned. 
I'm going to feel like the purposes and plans that I have made didn't come true. Like, I'm going to feel like the direction I've been going my entire life was wrong. But God Almighty, no, like, (laughs) not just that I'm here, not just that even, like, I'll sustain you, but I have a direction and plan for your life that maybe you just, is not the same than what you expected, and that's okay. Because I'm here, and I'm for you, and I care about you. And so we live in that, and we figure it out, and we rest and remember and engross ourselves in the promises of God. Here's some, it's known or said, scholars would say there's 1,260 promises of God in scripture that are made available to us through faith in Jesus. And so here's just a few, you're gonna throw them up in the middle of the screen. Just here's some promises just to, just to rest and, 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 and engross yourself. And God is near to the brokenhearted. This is um, Psalm 34. Uh, not only is he near to you, but God says he'll sustain you. That's Psalm 55. God says he'll strengthen you and help you, Isaiah. God says he'll give you, he will keep in perfect peace those, those whose minds is steadfast and who trust in him. Man, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my worry and anxious thoughts, I just, I need a rest from it. And there's a promise that Jesus gives us an invitation. He says, I'll give, I'll give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Man, what a promise. That's beautiful. And Jesus points these people, the disciples who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount, he points them back to, hey, you have a God who cares, who provides, because he loves you and has given you promises, and because he's good, he'll be faithful to deliver. Scripture tells us that all the promises that we are given, that we are seen, that are made known to us and available to us are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So what if, then I would, but God will. That's how we put worry into perspective. Next thing he does is, he asks another question in verse 27. He says, can any of you, or can any one of you, uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Um, And in this, it's just an invitation to accept the reality that worry is unproductive. I wanted to say useless, but me and Brendan had a really good conversation. And even with what he said last week, he's like, it's not always useless. Right? Because there's moments where it, like, it at least points us somewhere. It helps us and invites us into moments where, like, how can I trust Jesus? But what Jesus is getting at, even in this, where he says, like, how can you add, it's, just, it's unproductive. It doesn't add anything to your life. Like, the Mayo uh, Hospital Clinic, I don't know where at, like, they actually had, like, Dr. Mayo guy, I don't know who it is. Sorry. <laughs> but he did a ton of studies on this. He did a ton of studies and he realized like worry affects our whole soul and whole body. Like it, effe- it affects us holistically. And it's even argued, the, same, the Mayo Clinic did studies and they found out that worry not just doesn't add an hour to your life, it actually most likely takes hours away. It's like, it's unproductive. And this isn't like a practical stuff that I can give you. It's just a question that Jesus throws in as an invitation to say, hey, accept the reality right here that worry and worry not 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 anxious thoughts, not worrisome thoughts, not fearful thoughts, worry as we camp in, meditate in, and just rest in. That is unproductive. Like, it's, just, it's, it's fruitless. It's not healthy for you. It actually, like, eats your soul. So we put worry in perspective. We engross in the promises of God. We accept that worry is unproductive. Worry is unproductive. And then Jesus says in verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And here, this is just a, an invitation uh, and I think uh, 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 a command to concede our will to God's kingdom. 
He said, when you seek the kingdom of God, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be handed to you, given to you. He said, concede your will to my kingdom, to God's kingdom. And ultimately, the invitation here is, how are we prioritizing our life? What is at the highest priority in our life? To seek first the kingdom of God, to concede our will to God's kingdom. I think it's asking us in our soul to not put first our wants, our desires. And instead, how do we put at the forefront on the throne of our life, Jesus's agenda, God's agenda. And what's really hard about that invitation is that is an ask to surrender the reality that we don't know what's coming next. That we will run up to things and we will run into things and circumstances and situations that we don't have any control over, which a lot of us have already experienced that. And so when Jesus says, seek first my kingdom, I want you to lay down your wants, your desires, your agenda. Because at the center of our worries and my worries is one thing and it's me. It's like when I'm, when I'm really camping in worry and anxious thoughts, I'm thinking about my family, what I want to have happen, the bills I have to pay, my house, what I desire to see. At the core of almost all our anxieties, a fear of things not going the way that we want. What does this look like? So go back again. What if? Then I would, but God will. What if I don't get the job? My wife, um, or even what if I don't get into grad school? I want to. Uh, and I think what's really hard about young adult life <laughs> is a lot of us don't have wise people, people who love Jesus, to speak wisely into our life and, and, and to ask advice and to pray for us. So I think that's what makes the idea of worry and, and anxious thoughts and fearful thoughts and stress really difficult. It's because we don't have people in our life to like really encourage us in those moments. Uh, when we were engaged, we had a horrific plan of what life was going to look like that we never asked anyone about. We just made this plan. So I got asked by the current, or the Oasis pastor at the time, his name is Rick, to go with him to go plan a church in Minneapolis. And I, I talked to Abby about this. We were engaged in this moment. And this was just, it was in the fall, and we like, we felt like God was leading us that way. And, and throughout this last year, this is Abby's senior year, so she's applying to grad schools, and there's like one or two at the time in the cities for PA school, and then there's obviously one at USD. And she applied to three different PA schools, two in the city, and she applied to USD. And we thought, well, like, PA school's two and a half years. And so we thought, well, we'll get married, like, you'll go to PA school, and I'll go to the cities and plant a church, and we'll just be separated for two and a half years, our first two and a half years of marriage. That's a terrible idea. We didn't tell anyone this plan. Because we knew most likely, percentage-wise, she wasn't going to get into the schools in Minneapolis. They, re- they rarely accepted out-of-state residents. It's like they almost only accepted in-state residents. And so like, we thought, well, like, like you'll easily get into USD. Like, no problem. Like, uh, it's USD. That's terrible. It's a great PA program. They have a great med school. They have a great lawyer program, uh, grad school. It doesn't matter. Um, they just do. They have some good things. It doesn't matter. Uh, but like we thought, it's like, no problem. Like, it's USD. You check all the boxes. Like, you're a female going into PA school. You want to do family medicine. You want to stay, like, in the Midwest. Like, you hit all of it. 
And we knew what the check marks were because her dad was like the director and leader of like the med school application people. So like we had ins. So in our head, it was like, oh yeah, you go there two and a half years, easy. We'll do long distance for our two, first two and a half years of marriage. Terrible idea. We told no one. Like we just, we, we didn't, I, I, oh, it was so dumb. Um, and, and so we assume, oh, she's going to get in. Literally, the letter comes to her parents' house. Her parents drive it down to Brookings. We go to Culver's because that's her father's favorite place to eat. And she opens the letter in front of everyone, this USD acceptance letter, which is literally what we called it. And it said, we're sorry to inform you. And in my head, I was so mad. I was so mad in the moment because it made zero sense. Why my wife, who's literally the most brilliant person I know, who checks all the boxes of what I think, and of course, I have no, no idea what it means to like, get accepted into PA school. But like, I was like, this is, this is a no-brainer. Like, they missed. They missed here. Personally, I'm going to move away from the story a little bit. Personally, I think God did us a favor. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think God did us a favor by not allowing her to get in. It made zero sense why she didn't get in. And we were stupid who made a bad decision, and God was really gracious and merciful to us in the moment. But all of a sudden, we're sitting in Culver's. And she's reading this letter and she starts crying because she had a plan for a lot of her life. She knew she wanted to be in medicine. She was passionate about it. She wanted to take care of people. She wanted to help people. She worked hard. She worked insanely hard. She got like two B's in college and it was the semester we started dating. Like it's my fault that she didn't have a 4 <laughs> Like She's a brilliant, brilliant woman. She worked hard at this. So all of a sudden she's going through like she never had to ask the question, well, what if I don't get into PA school? And all of a sudden, I was like, I didn't get into PA school. Well, then what should I do? Well, then I'm going to try to apply next year. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, what if I don't get in again? We're going to be in the cities. Like, she's obviously now coming with me, which was awesome. <laughs> like, I would, I would, like, suggest living with your spouse your first few years of marriage. <laughs> but it's like, her identity was in school. That's all she knew, was a student. And so all of a sudden, she had to go through this process of, man, what if I don't get in? And she was at the time working as a barista at, it was Java City at the time. I don't know if it's still Java City or not on campus here at SSU. She's like, maybe I'll just be a, be a, be a barista my whole life. Which is great. It's a great profession. But she came to this like, moment of, it doesn't change who God is. And it was a process. And it was hard. And she accepted that if she never gets into PA school, it doesn't change who she is in the eyes of God. It doesn't change that God is still a good, faithful father. And all of a sudden, she started reprioritizing, man, I got to lay down my agenda, my plan of what I think is going to happen. And we did. And she did. And I think God provided in ways that we didn't imagine or think that that he was going to provide. Jesus shows us what it looks like to first seek the kingdom of God in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He invites his three closest friends, the three of the closest disciples of the twelve into this garden, the most of what we see, anxious, worrisome, stressful moment in Jesus's life, the moment even to where he had the disorder that made him sweat blood. He's so stressed out and anxious. And he gets to the garden and he prays this. He says, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He's saying, I don't want to die. <laughs> like, I'm afraid to die. Jesus, say, I'm afraid to die. That's what he means by this cup. This cup was he knew he was going to his execution to save the world, to pay for our sins. He said, I don't, I don't want to die. I know it's going to be hard. And if you can take this cup, if you can take, if, if there's any other way that they can be saved, God, will you do it? But not what I will, what you. 
That's not a cop-out phrase. And then he goes to his disciples, his three closest friends that he asked to pray for them and they fell asleep. Sometimes as friends, we fail and that's okay. And so he says, hey, keep watch, wake up, pray. And he goes and then he rephrases how he asks and how he prays. He says this. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It's okay when we come up the circumstances and situations where like we get this, like the word is the revealed will of God for us. It's like, okay, I, I know what to do in some most, maybe even most you could argue, or at least some situations because this is what the Bible says. And then we get the unrevealed will of God where we run up against circumstances and situations in our life and we just don't know what to expect or don't know what's going on. And Jesus right here is like, I think I know. Like, I, I, I know what I'm about to, what's about to happen. I know I'm about to die. But if your will, if it's in your will to not have it be this way, awesome. But then to seek first the kingdom is he laid down that agenda. He laid down that desire. And he said, but if it's only possible for me to drink this cup, your will be done. I trust you. That's what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. It's what if the treatment doesn't work? Like, what if I lose my dad? I want you to heal him. God, please heal him. Take the cancer away. But not, oh, not what I will, what you will. And I trust you, even though maybe what I desire is not what you have planned. Man, if I don't get this job, if I don't get into PA school, not what I will. What you will, God, I trust you. Really easy to say right now on a platform in front of you guys. Really hard to go through and really say it as a prayer. But I think it's the rhythm that Jesus invited us into because he's helping us recognize, listen, there's things that are gonna happen in your life that go against maybe what you want in your desire. And I'm asking you just to lay that stuff down and trust me because I love you and I'm for you. So concede your will to God's kingdom. And then finally, Jesus says this in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow because today is filled with enough worry on its own. He's saying, listen, you've trusted me with your eternity. Why can't you trust me with your Thursday? He said, listen, you trusted me for salvation, for eternal life. Trust me about tomorrow because you know what? Today you're going to have some worry. And worry as in there's going to be some thoughts that come into your head. There's going to be stuff that you're going to have to fight through and battle through and trust me through. That's okay. It's good. Let go of tomorrow. Let's get through today. And what he's inviting us into there is just embrace one day at a time. Maybe for some of you, just starting there. Worry is real. Anxious thoughts are real. Fear is real. The stress is heavy. You know what? Maybe just for tomorrow, not tomorrow, tonight, today, and then when tomorrow happens, today, just taking it one day at a time. Embrace one day at a time. Jesus is saying, just focus on today. The battle of of worry and anxiety will be present for you the rest of your life, but its control over you and your peace doesn't have to be present. So listen, it's going to be there the rest of your life, right? The command and do not worry about your life is not a command to never have anxious or worrisome thoughts anymore. The command is, hey, don't dwell on it. Don't sit in it. Don't meditate on them. Um, yeah, and inviting us to trust in today, he's inviting us to realize that he's got tomorrow. Uh, Corey Ten Boom as a Dutch, was a Dutch Reformed Christian uh, living in Germany, uh, follower of Jesus in the, in the times of World War II, Nazis were reigning, like literally like 
the mass murder of a ton of Jewish people. And Corey Ten Boom and his family, they were Dutch Reformed, they loved Jesus, and they saw the Jewish people as the chosen ancient people of God. And so they, like, their entire family saved oh, like 800 people or something like that in safe houses and got them to safety and protected them. And, and she's known as one who was just in a lot of stressful environments and situations. And, and a lot of time those seasons, as a family who's trying to save Jewish people literally from murder, like it was a day-to-day thing. And so she's known as this quote, as she, she says, worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow because it's still going to come. There's still going to be moments. What it does is it is empties uh, today of its strength. So when I think about tomorrow or worry about what could or couldn't happen, I'm missing out and not able to push through and trust Jesus well, to rest in who God is, in the providing Father that he is, because I'm too focused on tomorrow. So Jesus said, hey, take one day at a time. Just take one day at a time. And what I'm hoping comes in this, in those five points, and you can throw those five points up, is that, is in this, I think it's, it's the way Jesus is pointing us towards, like, hey, here's some aspects and ways to, to view or, or think about your worry when it comes up to not meditate in, to not dwell in, to not tent in. What I'm not saying is, like, if you do all five of these perfectly, which I don't know if that's possible, that you'll never have worry again in your life. If you do all these perfectly, that you'll never have an anxious or worrisome thought again in your life. I think what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to continually help us and invite us into what does it look like just to trust me because I love you and I care for you. And when we do that, when we put our perspective or put, put our worry in perspective, when we engross ourselves in scripture and the promises of God, which ultimately, man, I'm, I'll, I'll be done soon, I promise. This ultimately and that ultimately is an invitation to pr- try to remember that God is good. In the garden, when we look at the fall and when sin came in, the devil and the serpent, what he was doing to Eve was not trying to get her to want something more. He was trying to discredit the character of God and the goodness of God by saying, did God really say that? Is God really trustworthy? And when we engross ourselves in the promises of God, I think it has to start with, do I believe that I serve a God who is good at heart and who is for me? And when I can start there and sit, man, even in situations where I, I don't know what's happening, even if I believe, God, I, I believe in this situation and in this moment, you're going to turn my morning into dancing. I don't know if the dancing is going to come today or tomorrow or in 10 years, but I know you'll do it because you're good. Man, when I, when I really trust in the goodness of God, I can engross myself in his promises because I'm thinking this is a God who cares and who will provide for my needs. So we engross ourselves in his promises. We accept that worry is unproductive. We concede our will to God's kingdom and we embrace one day at a time. And when we can pursue and do these things, it spells out peace. It leads to peace. As Brennan talked about last week, go listen to his message if you haven't. Beautiful illustration and examples and direction on what does it look like to actually pray. It doesn't just say pray. It's like, here's how. And it leads to this peace that surpasses knowledge. It's hard to explain sometimes. That's the invitation that Jesus has given us. So I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. There will be a team of leaders, pastoral uh, shepherding team that will be up here after the last song just wanting to pray for you. They see you. They want to hear from you. They want to 
help you know you belong. They want to pray if there's anxiousness or worry, some thoughts, fearful thoughts, stressful thoughts that are happening in your life. Like they want to just be there with you in it and pray for you. Uh, but right now, what I want you to do is I, I want everyone to just close their eyes and, and lower your head. And if tonight or last week and even in the coming of whatever's going to happen, if you really like, this is real for you. Like, man, there's, there's something about the battle of the daily stress, worry, anxious thoughts that I just keep running into. And I'm struggling to move past and push forward. Would you with just eyes closed and heads lower, would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand? Because I, I want to, in this moment, help and, and just let you know that God sees you. He knows. And he knows it's hard. Because life is hard. And he wants you just in this moment to know he has not left you or forsaken you in your worry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. For a moment to be able to declare your goodness. For a moment to be able to sit and proclaim there is nobody or nothing like you. Jesus, thank you that you are the Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain. Jesus, thank you ultimately for providing the greatest need we have in our life, which is spiritual separation from our Father in heaven who created us. You, through your life, death, and resurrection, made a way that we could come back to God and be in his presence, that we could be saved and have eternal life. Thank you for meeting that need. There's anyone here tonight, God, who has not trusted you with their life, who's not said yes to you, Jesus, would you just impress that on their soul? to confess sin, to repent and turn from their ways and run towards you. For those of us who just continue and, and know this struggle and this battle of worry and stress and, and anxiety and those, those thoughts, God, would you help us in those moments where we're trying to remember your promises to know that you're a God who cares and is good? Thank you that none of us are immune to this and you knew that. That's why you spoke on it. That's why you gave us a word on it. Help us just even now increase our faith to believe that you will provide because you care. Help us to know for us what it looks like to seek your kingdom first, to lay down our agenda and our priorities and what we want, what we desire, and just, Jesus, put your agenda to the top. And if even it's as simple as just, I just need to take one day at a time. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do that? Thank you that you're here that you've spoken, that you're good, that you comfort. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.